Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Yeah, I think I like that better. Hey, it's it's good to have you here on your Rancher Radio. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. We're going to talk about Gabriel. Uh, we're going to talk about theories about why the Arantia book was given to us. Uh, and also some cool news in the Arantia community that I want to share with you. So it's good to have you here with me. As you know, this podcast is about sharing and studying the revelation, the fifth epical revelation of truth to mankind, the Arantia book. So thank you so much. Um, it is, I, I wonder with all the pandemic, you know, there was a period of about three months when we were all basically in lockdown, right? And so we were inside wondering what the heck's going on with our world. Uh, and I thought, you know, how, I wonder how the impact of the Arantia book is during times like these. Are more people looking for truth and meaning and a reason to, to forge on? Probably, right? Um, so, you know, in my email today is Mo Siegel's Arantia Foundation update on what's happening in the world with regard to the growth of the Arantia book. And boy, they've got some exciting things going on. Uh, the translations are just moving full forward. Uh, good folks working on a new ebook, which is going to be great. Uh, probably has some good tools. There's a lot of activity going on with the Arantia Book Internet School. So there's no question in my mind this has been a good, you know, 10 years of steady, consistent growth. It's like the seeds are starting to sprout, right? So just, you know, briefly with regard to your Arantia Book business, uh, Audible and some European sales, unreported. Urantia Book sales were up 21% for the quarter and 7% for the year. And this is based on the latest report issued by the foundation, the Urantia Foundation in Chicago. The quarter should finish up 29%, uh, 11% year to date. English book sales are up 7%. German up 167%. Uh, Polish is up 5%, ebooks up 9%, Spanish, Portuguese, and French books are down year-to-date year to totals. Uh, that new book they put out, The Untold Story of Jesus, a modern biography from the Arantia book, uh, sold 735 copies. Isn't that interesting? I don't know if that's a necessarily bad thing or a good thing, but it does strike me. I'm just reacting to it just like you. You know, um, I'm thinking of the quote in the faith of Jesus, the final paper. And there's, and it's not, and I'm sure I'm not, I should probably just go get it, but it means something in my heart. And it's, and it's, it's a plea really from the revelators. Uh, what a, what a great thing. If these writings, if this revelation could transform mankind, that's what I remember. And it's talking about the retelling of the life and teachings of Jesus. So the foundation uh, published, the Modern Biography, The Untold Story of Jesus, and it sold 735 copies. Now, do you think that's an indication that the world just isn't hungry, or do you think it's just because people can't handle 
or they don't understand how uh, a biography could come from some strange thing I've never heard of, but it's about Jesus. Uh, I mean, they've sold almost one book for every page dedicated to the life of Jesus. You know, that kind of stuff. I mean, it, look, go. I'm going to go. We've got to go buy the book. I mean, or we've got to share the book or something. If you've got a web page or some way of, I mean, we got to move that book because that's, a, that's an important thing, really. Uh, when you think about it, here we have the revelation, and it's it's given separate now. It's not with the revelation in the first three chapters, so it should be a little easier to digest. So, I think what it shows more than anything is just that the uh, uh, progress is slow but sure. That's what I think. Anyway, so I think overall, boy, uh, just the idea that fifty five thousand downloads of the Arantia book. In the second quarter, 55,000 people downloaded the Arantia book on their device. That means there's 55,000 people walking around in in the last three months that have gotten curious enough and and maybe even listening to this podcast or reading the book. Uh, Book sales, 31,000. And this is a time when people just, you know, they're not buying books like they used to, but 31,000 books is pretty significant for something that is not advertised in general media. So all in all, very, very encouraging, I think. So uh, this morning, as I was getting my thoughts together for the podcast today, I, I thought about something that I hadn't really pondered recently, but I, I, you know, during these contentious times, the thought has crossed my mind. And uh, I thought, gosh, could I come up with a couple of theories as to why the Urantia Revelation was given to us. And so I wrote some down, and I want to share them with you. And I want to get your input, uh, if you are so kind as to want to respond. And you can do so by email, UrantiaBookRadio at gmail.com. I want to ask you, what do you think is the reason that we were given the Urantia Revelation? What do you think it was the thing that made them... um, want to give us this book and and reveal religion. If you know the Urantia story, you know, this is the fifth epical revelation, meaning this is a revelation that is not written by and it doesn't come from a human being. It comes from, uh, now, normal revelations involve one spiritual personality. So, for example, Jesus Christ was a revelation because he was an actual son of God uh, incarnate in the form of a human being. Uh, and as hard as that is to fathom, that is the, the premise of him being a revelation. A revelation is, well, we'll get to that in just a moment. But the uh, Adam and Eve were a revelation. Melchizedek, who taught Abraham, who went on to found monotheism in our world, was a revelation of new truth. It was sort of like an update, like what I consider to be is like a, a spiritual software update. You know, we're now at uh, God 5.0. Okay, you can look at it that way. Adam and Eve were a revelation. They were God 2.0. And Caligastia was God 1.0 because it was a personality who comes from the spiritual side to deliver information not previously known. And what it does is it brings evolutionary religion up to speed. Okay, so here's five reasons, maybe six or seven reasons why it's possible we were given the revelation in 1955 or really 1934 when the book was written. Number one, it is fake and someone made it up. 
Well, that's a good one, but it's very hard to prove that because there's so much information in the book that uh, was in advance of scientific and historical knowledge. It, the chances that someone would have gotten it right on so many things is about 50 million to one. And there are statistics that show that that is absolutely true. Uh, for example, uh, there is a uh, reference made to the Star of Beth- Bethlehem uh, finding its way into the origin of the, the birth of Jesus as a result of an astronomical conjunction that took place on three separate dates in the year 7 BC, uh, the year of our Lord, 7 BC, uh, based on the current calendar. Uh, and so that wasn't known at the time the book was written. Uh, later, now we can show, if we run those dates, there was, in fact, a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, I think, uh, maybe Mars. But anyway, it happened on three occasions in that year, and it is the scientific fact. Now, the chances that somebody could have made that up and have been right about it is about 10 million to one. And there are at least 35 scientific statements made in the Urantia book that were not known at the time the Urantia book was written. So the chances that all 35 would be correct is pretty significant. So it would be, uh, what I'm saying is if you say that the Urantia book is a fake and someone made it up, you would have to explain how that person was able to have all that knowledge and make it up. Okay. The other question to that, which addresses it, is if it's fake, sooner or later, somebody would have revealed it. The fact that nobody's taking credit for this book, even though it passed through 700 hands between the time it was first appearing until it was published, nobody has come forward to say, I know what happened. I know what happened. So if you're going to say it's fake and someone made it up, you got to have the evidence. Okay, so number two, assuming that it's not a fake, Perhaps at this pivotal time, it was the only revelation that they could offer that wouldn't cause a societal breakdown, but a very slow introduction of new truth. Now, there's a statement, several statements actually, that say that revelations cannot be too far in advance of current thinking. It shocks to the system. Human beings are very fragile intellectually. You know, it's not, it's not hard to overwhelm them with new truth. Trust me. And I think we all know that to be true. Okay, so that's one possible reason that we were given the revelation at this time to sort of ease it into society, but not so much so that it would create chaos and disruption into the established evolutionary stream. Okay, so number three, emergency revelation. They forecasted rocky times, so they gave us a lifeline. Well, that still hasn't proven itself to be... uh, Self-evident, because, you know, not enough people know about the Arantia book where if there was some sort of a cataclysmic apocalypse, uh, I don't think there would be enough of us to save the world. And I'm not sure that the information in the Arantia book would would help us in any way. Uh, You know, now, so it's kind of hard to, you know, I've thought about, oh, maybe the world is coming to an end and they gave us the book. Well, what would that do? Probably not much. Okay, so moving on to number four, an experiment to see how we would accept or reject a revelation of this type. I'm willing to bet this is probably the first time or maybe one of the few times that uh, divine personalities have given a book uh, or truth in book form. And the reason I say that is because when it talks about 
the gift of Revelation, I think it's paper 94, it talks about the fact that this is a composite of many different personalities. It is not the work of one personality like Jesus or Melchizedek or or Adam and Eve or Caligastia. Cal- uh, it is a composite work of several personalities, Melchizedek's brilliant evening stars. All, In fact, every paper has an author listed at the very bottom of who that person was. So, um, you know, we're an experimental world. So maybe they were they were frustrated. Maybe they're not frustrated. Maybe they're just saying, hey, you know, these poor guys, you know, they love their books. They really love their books. You know, they worship their books. Um, look what's happening with Mormonism. You know, and as books become more an, an, antique, they be, they become more valid. So maybe a thou, maybe they're planning ahead. They give it this book. It slowly kind of gets in there and works with the stream and starts to influence people in the Christian church and starts to influence people in the Catholic church. And then maybe it moves over and some Mormons start to pick up on it and they introduce it to their elders, possibly. And then you've got this situation where... You know, in the early, if you study the early years of Christianity, you'll know that, you know, Christianity moved with the stream of the times and it slowly absorbed all the other isms that uh, were sort of coalescing around and attaching themselves to this, this kind of cool religion that was coming out that basically said everybody was, you know, could get in. Uh, And that's sort of how Christianity became what it is today. You know, look at a Christmas tree. A Christmas tree is a perfect metaphor for Christianity because every one of those symbols came from somewhere. The tree, the the you know, all the little ornaments that represent different things about the Christian church and about Jesus and about religion and about faith and about uh, you know all kinds of different uh, belief systems that that sort of you know what's the old adage you know old wine skins and in new wine so the new wine skin was jesus and his teachings but the old wine was all of the other myriad of religions that sort of got put into this new wine skin and that's how we have modern christianity today uh so i'm thinking well maybe the revelators say if we introduce this book now and we get it into the united states because they've got a good infrastructure those people, English is kind of popular. It's the global language. You know, at the time, it's been pointed out to me that the Chicago area was really an emerging. I mean, that's where they had uh, 1901. That's where they did the first display of electricity, I believe. Um, it was at the Chicago State Fair. And Chicago was a, is, was the booming uh, metropolis because of all the textiles and food that was passing through in the Great Lakes and um, anyway, so um, so Chicago would have been a great place, a great crossroads to introduce the Urantia book. And it was fortuitous, fortuitous that there happened to be a Dr. Sadler and a sleeping subject with a very good uh, self-acting thought adjuster. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But, you know, so there's just another reason why we were given the revelation. It was it was the right time and the right place. And it was a planting for the future. Uh, And maybe the reason is that they anticipate that Christianity may fall. Maybe the Christian church, the Catholic church, is losing its its ability uh, to influence culturally. I mean, we know that we're told that Christian uh, attendance is down. 
I don't think I, I buy into that. I think Christianity has enough, as the Urantia book says, Christianity has enough of Jesus' teachings to immortalize it. So that isn't one of my theories, but it is something that I've contemplated. Um, I just don't believe it because I think Christianity is still in its embryonic state, frankly. Uh, they wanted to introduce Jesus' life for all nations. In fact, they actually say it. The midwayers were very intent on representing the the uh, teachings of Jesus and his life. Obviously, f- uh, for reasons beyond our control, the Occidental West westernized Christianity. Uh, and this was an opportunity for them to represent the story so that all eyes could see it. I, I often say that the uh, fourth part of the Urantia book, the revelation of the life and teachings of Jesus, could technically be a second coming. You know how they say in the Bible, it says, when I come back, all eyes will be able to see me. All eyes will be able to behold my presence. Well, now everybody on the planet can read the book and get the firsthand account of Jesus' life on earth. And to me, that technically is a second retelling or a second presentation of Jesus' life incarnate as a human being on our planet. So um, we'll just go through a couple more possible reasons why we have the revelation. Uh, Because revelations of the past have failed, and they wanted to give us something that would keep pace with our intellectual development. Uh, Another theory is maybe we're about to discover life or some form of communication with other life, and this book helps prepare us mentally and emotionally. Uh, Since the Arantia book does fully disclose the reality of a well-populated universe, Uh, And maybe here's a theory. Maybe society is about to crumble and they're seeding the planet with a new truth that will carry people through the dark ages. That's, you know, I don't know. How do you feel about that one? It's kind of, that's kind of pessimistic, right? But that is what happened on the last revelation. It was a couple of hundred years where Christianity had taken root, but then it was submerged and it got lost in a myriad of isms and all kinds of weird cults. And it truly sort of hibernated uh, in the Dark Ages for almost a thousand years. So who's to say that couldn't happen again? Uh, now, literally, what they actually say about Revelation, I'll just read it, and then we'll bring this to a close. It, it says from paper 92, section 4, paper 3, it is in the response, Revelation is the response of the super-intellectual cosmos to the mortal hunger to believe in and depend upon the universal deities. Evolutionary religion pictures the circuitous gropings of humanity. In quest of truth, revelatory religion is that very truth. I'll read that again. It's such a beautiful statement. Evolutionary religion pictures the circuitous gropings of humanity in quest of truth. Revelatory religion is that very truth. So we crave to know what's going on out there, and they tell us every once in a while. Well, here you go. We can't tell you everything because you're not quite ready for it, but here you go. Then they also say revelation is to exalt and upstep the religions of evolution, which kind of goes back to my one case where I say, you know, maybe, you know, planting the seed now, this this thing sort sort of goes off in a bunch of different directions and starts to influence different people and different religions. Um, so it's possible. And then also from the foreword, where it talks about why they're giving us this book. They say, quote, We know 
that there dwells within the human mind a fragment of God, and that there sojourns with the human soul the spirit of truth. And we further know that these spirit forces conspire to enable material man to grasp the reality of spiritual values and to comprehend the philosophy of universe meanings. End quote. So there could be a combination of many reasons why the Arantia book arrived when it did. Perhaps the anticipated technology would help spread the word. I don't know if it's about speed, though, right? It's more about reach. Getting the truth translated, probably, I'm thinking, was probably the chief mission. I've heard that the fortuitous coming together of the sleeping subject with Dr. William Sadler and especially the persistence by which Dr. Lena Sadler pushed her husband to the end because Dr. Sadler was, he lost patience in the early days when these papers started appearing and he had no explanation. And this guy, his, his job was to expose fraudulent activity. He was a true skeptic and this was a puzzle he could not solve. And had it not been for Dr. Lena Sadler pushing him saying, you got to find out where this leads. We may not have a revelation at this point. So much credit goes to Dr. Lena Sadler. Um, you know, there's uh, one section I kind of want to close off with. You, do you remember Tabamantia? Well, Tabamantia is a, uh, well, in, in its most literal terms, Tabamantia is a former mortal, just like you and me, uh, who lived on a world at, at the time of their material life, just like us. And whatever world they came from, Tabamantia also survived from a quarantine sphere. And I believe it involved, well, it says right here from paper 50, uh, involved in the first rebellion to take place in our, in our universe, right? In, in the universe of Nebadon. So Tabamantia has been around. It could be Nebadon or it could be Orbiton. It doesn't specify. But uh, Tabamantia is, uh, I guess you could say, a pretty big wig. Chief Inspector. Sovereign supervisor of a series of decimal or exper experimental worlds. And so this is a, a, a now spiritual being who at one time was a mortal. Who went on, finally attained paradise. Finally embraced and became part of the core of mortal finality. And Tabamantia shows up on our world. Says, how's the book coming along? In fact, somebody told me recently that at one point this is you know apocrypha so take it with a not so serious grain of salt but someone said to me that Tabamantia didn't understand why human beings were so cavalier about the papers I was like don't these people realize what they have I mean I, I kind of laugh at that because you know I, I see that you know sometimes I, I take for granted what is this that I have, right? And so Tabamantia came to our world, and actually, paper 73, Tabamantia, sovereign supervisor of a series of decimal or exper experimental worlds, including ours, came to expect our world. And after a survey of racial progress, duly recommended that Urantia be granted material sons. Okay, so this is going back to, you know, Adam and Eve, prior to Adam and Eve. And then a little less than 100 years after that visitation, Tabamantia, uh, then Adam and Eve showed up. So Tabamantia came here 40,000 years ago. So he's very well aware of our world, or she. 
and then there's this fantastic message, actually dictated by Tabamancha, and it's in the book, uh, A One-Time Human Being, and, I, and I'm going to read it because it just puts the icing on the cake. Paper 108, this is Tabamancha, and uh, he is, uh, it says, Not long since Urantia underwent a periodic inspection by Tabamancha the sovereign supervisor of all life experiment planets in the universe. And the records reveal that in addition to his admonitions and indictments delivered to the various chiefs of superhuman personalities, and that's happening on our world. So he's having a conversation with these uh, supernatum and superior uh, seraphim. And so he says to these, uh, these, these chiefs, and he says, Now to you, superiors far above me, I come as one place in temporary authority, and I come to express admiration and profound respect for this magnificent group of celestial ministers, the Mystery Monitors, who have volunteered to serve on this irregular sphere. No matter how trying the crisis, you never falter. Not on the records of Nebadon nor before the commissions of Orvington has there ever been or offered an indictment of a divine adjuster, a divine adjuster, the spirit of God that lives in each human person. Uh, he says, you've been true to your trust. You've been divinely faithful. You have helped to adjust the mistakes and to compensate for the shortcomings of all who labor on this confused planet. You are marvelous beings, guardians of the good in the souls of this backward realm. I pay you respect even while you are apparently under my jurisdiction as volunteer ministers. I bow before you in humble recognition of your exquisite unselfishness, your understanding ministry, and your impartial devotion. You deserve the name of the godlike servers of the mortal inhabitants of this strife-torn, grief-stricken, and disease-afflicted world. I honor you. I all but worship you. And that is what Tabamantia, chief inspector of the decimal and experimental worlds, one-time former human being, and now an agadanter of the highest uh, order, uh, an actual mortal of the core finality. And now he's coming back, and he's saying, what can we do to move truth along on this world? And so the gift of revelation is about the gift of, of ushering man along progressive lines of spiritual concepts and insights and have that commensurate with our intellectual insights so that we truly become moral beings of the highest order. And in that way and in that respect, they see that we enter upon that wonderful age of light and life that has been ordained by our Father. And that's a beautiful message, a beautiful revelation. It's a great time to be alive. Thank you for joining me on the Urantia Radio Podcast. Follow us online at urantiaradio.net. Until next time, God bless. God bless.